Welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American women on leadership and culture. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. This podcast has been created to carve out a space for Asian American women to explore and validate living in both Eastern and Western worlds. Each week, we will celebrate our heritage and highlight Asian American history. My guests and I will explore our various Asian American journeys, both the parts that we are proud of and the parts that have brought pain. We'll discuss practical tips on leadership and our favorite comfort foods, of course. This is a place and a space to bring words and understanding to our shared experience living biculturally. I am so glad you're listening and look forward to your feedback. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to season two of Some Days Here. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni. Today's guest is Jensine Lee, and I had the privilege of meeting her in person finally at the Some Days Here live event that happened in February. And she came all the way down from San Francisco with several of her friends, and that is where she lives in the Bay Area. Jen is a wife and a mother, and she's very active on Instagram. Um, she takes beautiful photos and has very inspiring captions, and, and she is a sports enthusiast as well. So she believes that we all have influence right where we are at. And for those of you who listened to the Some Days Here live event, she was one of the guests on stage and shared similar um, leadership lessons for us. And um, she uses and desires to use social media to bring the beauty of words and images and real grace together to reflect our true light and life in um, our relationship with God. So Jensine is, uh, we have several mutual friends and that's how we initially got connected. She spent some time in South Carolina and we talk about that in our conversation together. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Jen. This week's Did You Know is on the city of San Francisco, which in Chinese is Jiu Jingsan, which means a gold mountain. And that's where a lot of Chinese immigrants located in the 1800s during the California gold rush. Unfortunately, these Chinese immigrants were met with laws sanctioning their labor, housing, workplaces, and an earthquake in eight. April 18 in 1906 caused widespread fires to break out among the thriving community. So it's estimated that over 30,000 people were displaced during the time after that fire in 1906. So for more than 60 years, the Chinese Exclusion Act created a bachelor society. And finally, in 1943, it was repealed, ending decades of legalized racism and discrimination. So finally, immigrants, Chinese immigrants, were legally allowed to become citizens and own property. Today, San Francisco's Chinatown has developed cultural autonomy, which sustains many activities, dance, musical groups, children's orchestra, artists, a Chinese cultural center, and the Chinese Historical Society of America, and probably, hands down, some of the best Chinese food there is out there. And that's this week's Did You Know?
Well, welcome back to Someday is Here. I'm really excited to introduce another fabulous Asian American woman. Jensine Lee, or she goes by Jen also, um, is a mother of two and lives up in the Bay Area, in San Francisco area. And um, she has a beautiful Instagram page, is a lifestyle I don't know what, how would you describe that lifestyle? Gosh, I don't even know. I always get a little weird saying this too, but (laughs) I guess, you know, I'm just trying to help people in some way. I guess you call that an influencer, but I'm I'm not trying to make it about me. I'm trying to really put things out that encourage people, inspire people, tips and tricks, whatever I've got, you've got to, you know, (laughs) that is such a great, I love that attitude and posture. So, um, Jensine and I are um, connected through a mutual friend, Melissa, who mm-hmm. introduced Hi, us. <laughs> Hello, Melissa. Thank you for connecting us. And isn't this just so fun? Because I really think that in Asian American communities, we are like literally two degrees of separation. So yes. instantly, like as we sat down, even before we started recording, it's like, oh, we have a mutual friend here. And I went to, I know this person from this camp. Yes. Yeah, so it's, mm-hmm. it's so fun. So I know that our paths will eventually cross. Yeah. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I hope very, so. Very, I hope so. I, I have a good feeling about this. Yeah. So, <laughs> so fun. So fun. Well, I would love for you to share, Jen, with our listeners some of your um, Asian American ethnic identity mm-hmm. you know, journey. Um, just yeah. go for it. And I'll probably okay. you know, ask you some clarifying questions along the way, but we'd just love to hear your story. Yeah. Um, well, I am Chinese American. Um, my mom is from Shanghai and my dad is from Hong Kong. And they both immigrated here pretty young. So their English is great. Um, growing up, they did speak Cantonese mainly at home, but um, I would always respond in English. And so mm-hmm. my, my Chinese is not very good, <laughs> <laughs> but I can you know, still hold a conversation if I need to. And my, my parents, um, you know, worked in the church when I was growing up, so they were believers. And I think that was a really interesting dynamic for me because, um, on the one hand, they had very normal, strict Asian conservative ideals, you know, doing well in school, um, Mm -hmm. behaving a certain way, um, all the respect that is very standard in Asian cultures. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, they understood, you know, grace and Mm -hmm. mercy and, you know, just being under God's sovereignty. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, they were not super Asian strict, (laughs) if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So it was a very interesting dynamic because I had friends on both ends of the spectrum, but I felt kind of in the middle. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that I'm older, I'm definitely thankful for that. and just how they raised me, both with a lot of guidance and standards that I am really thankful for, um, but also with a lot of love and a lot of grace um, that I am also very grateful for. Um, when I think about my family here in the Bay Area, um, I automatically think of my mom's dad, my grandpa, because mm-hmm. he's the one who kind of settled everybody here. And he actually passed away this summer. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was really hard for our family because, yeah, he was the patriarch. Mm -hmm. And um, he had battled cancer twice in his life. And 
this time was just, you know, the end. So it wasn't a surprise or, or anything drastic, but it was just kind of a slow decline over the last year or two. Um, so yeah, but I mean, he was the immigrant American dream story, you know, mm-hmm. he was a self-made man. He grew up poor in like a village in, um, outside of Shanghai and, mm-hmm. um, him and my grandma escaped like the cultural revolution as that was happening in China. And they um, fled to Hong Kong. And um, I've been hearing uh, as my grandpa's health, health was declining, I started hearing all these stories about how crazy it was back then and what they had to do to get out. And um, mm. yeah, my grandpa just, you know, really broke his back to get our mm. family here. And thinking of all the, opportunities I've had growing up, um, going to school, going to college, all those things I attribute to him and his work for our family. And he, um, I remember when I was in elementary school, maybe uh, I was really young. I remember a family friend commenting to my parents that my grandpa had built the first successful like Asian business in San Francisco. And I'm not sure that's true or not, but I remember just feeling super proud. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that, that's my, that's my algong, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, he was, um, he did have his own business in San Francisco for decades. And when he retired, um, you know, had a front page, uh, front page splash on, in the San Francisco Chronicle kind of thing. So mm-hmm. he was, yeah, influential in the city and did a lot um, connecting San Francisco with his hometown of Shanghai. And wow. so... Yeah, when I think of our family here, you know, I think of him um, and I'm just yeah, really proud of what he's done for our family, for the city and for the Chinese community here too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I think uh, I'm just very grateful, obviously, for having been born here in the mm-hmm. United States and just, um, yeah, really grateful for the opportunity and just even material things that I take mm-hmm. for granted that I know I wouldn't have or have access to easily if it wasn't for the generations before, you know? Yeah. yeah. How old was he when he moved to San Francisco? Do you know? Um, he was pretty young. So he was a tailor. So he created like custom suits. Um, so he had a tailoring business. And before he came to the States, he went to study tailoring in Europe and that's how he became like really good and a master at his craft. So I think he probably came over it like it probably in his thirties. Yeah. Cause he had um, my mom and her older brothers already. So he was probably, yeah. In his thirties. Yeah. That's incredible. (laughs) Do you, do you um, like in what you do now, I mean, mm-hmm. you have an eye for beauty and there's kind of that, I do, like, I wonder if you see that, that, um, that gift even of, or, or how do you connect with, you know, mm. your grandfather or even just what you see like has been passed down to you? Yeah. You know, I have always been into crafting in a way, like mm-hmm. when the whole DIY concerns revolution yes, came yes. about you know, some years ago, I was, I was so baffled in a way because I was like, wait, doesn't everyone do this? Like in my mind, because my family has always been super crafty, 
mm-hmm. um, in a way, kind of that Chinese frugal frugality, mm-hmm. of, yes. you know, it's making a real things thing. work without spending <laughs> a lot of money, you know, yes. Yes. and I think that that's been definitely been passed down because mm-hmm. I remember my mom, when I was young, I would be like, you know, why don't we spend money on X, Y, Z or these things that my friends have that I don't have or we, mm-hmm. we don't buy. Um, and she was like, you know, your grandparents, they lived through wars and, you know, revolutions yes. in China. And that's just how it's been. And like saving money and doing things, um, you know, as resourcefully and creatively as possible mm-hmm. has always been a part of my family. So like when the whole DIY thing and like, Ikea hacks, you know, all yes. came <laughs> I was so interested that people would make money off blogs and stuff about mm-hmm. this because in my mind, I was like, wait, doesn't everyone know how to do this? <laughs> you know, because it was yes. just so normal for my family. But I realized, no, not everyone. Everyone's kind of talented in different things. And I guess this mm-hmm. is kind of our way of showing our gifts in some way. <laughs> That is awesome. That yeah. is awesome. So you grew up, did you grow up in a predominantly Asian environment or what was like the composition of your high school, for example? What yeah. was that like? You know, my high school was not majority Asian, but a good, a good third, I would say. Mm-hmm. So I definitely didn't feel um, out of place growing mm-hmm. up. Um also, because my parents worked in the church, they worked at predominantly Asian churches too growing mm-hmm. up. So I was always surrounded and my closest friends or my closest family friends are are Asian. Mm-hmm. So it was always comfortable in a way. And um, it wasn't until much later, like going into college and then even uh, moving outside the Bay Area for a few years that I realized, you know, the world is much bigger than your little like Asian bubble. And in some ways, I kind of regretted uh, not having expanded mm. my group and my circle or even just my acquaintances more, <laughs> you know. And I think it was, you know, part fear, part apathy, um, just being comfortable in what I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I definitely wish I had had established more um, diversity in mm. growing up in my friendships. And I think I would have learned so much more about people and the world. Um, but that's definitely something I'm, I'm conscious of now. And having lived, um, we moved to Charleston, South Carolina for a few mm-hmm. years, um, my husband and I. And so that was really humbling and eye-opening and just beautiful, a really beautiful season where we got to know so many different people just got to um, really experience, you know, I mean, it is in some ways uh, not a very diverse city, you know, mm-hmm. in the South, but for us, it was because it was different than what we were used to. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know, this is just a slice, a tiny, tiny microcosm of what it's going to look like eventually, you know, mm-hmm. where we're all so interconnected. Yes. Yeah. So what was it like moving from California to... Yeah. <laughs> You know, the South. I mean, yes, the South, the South, the, South. <laughs> the South, deep South. So, what were some of the, what did you notice that were similarities and what were like the stark differences? Like, what mm-hmm. was culture shock for you? Yeah. I mean, Charleston is, it's a bigger city. It's not San Francisco or LA, but it's also not 
like the boonies. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, there are still Trader Joe's and Target and Whole Foods. <laughs> so in yes. some ways it didn't feel too weird. I mean, not, not too much of a shock. I think what was the big uh, cultural difference for us was obviously um, there's a very, very small population of Asians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost, I would say, invisible because when we moved there in 2014, I would go days, weeks where I would not see another Asian person, um, wow. you know, outside my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> unless totally. we, unless we went to Costco because you can always <laughs> find Asian people at Costco. Getting all the free samples. There's one Costco like 40 minutes away that we would go to. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so that was the main difference. And, you know, of course, along with that, you don't have Asian food and Mm. the things that were comfortable to us. Um, But actually, over time, uh, Charleston kind of became seen as this little hub for startups and more like tech companies. So Mm-hmm. I think in our years there, we slowly saw a shift where it started becoming a little bit more diverse. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm glad for that. And mm-hmm. um, we started seeing a couple different like Korean restaurants and boba joints come in. And so, nice. you know, that was, that was cool. <laughs> that was cool for sure. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was interesting just being so conscious and aware that I was always the only Asian person Mm -hmm, in the room, mm -hmm. you know? And so I remember thinking, you know, I want people to know that I speak English really well. Right, right. (laughs) You know, actually I have a degree in in English, you know, that's what I studied. (laughs) I don't want them to assume I'm like a lot. So there's a university in Charleston. And so most of the Asian people there, you know, when we first moved there were international students. Yes. so, of course, you know, international students don't necessarily speak English as well or, you know, might have an accent and stuff. And so I was just always very aware that I wanted people to know I actually speak English. I don't speak any other language, actually. So. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, Assumptions yeah. that you made, yes. Yeah, so things like that. And, you know, I always wanted to just kind of fit in, you know, mm-hmm. really well there and not stick out too much. Um, yeah. So it was at the same time different. And, you know, in the beginning, it was difficult being away from home and the comforts of home. But in those three years that we were there, I was definitely stretched and challenged in really good ways to make friends that I wouldn't have made here in California and to really um, be more on the offensive, uh, Mm. not in like, not in like an attacking kind of way, you know, but to be intentional about building friendships. And I think as you're older, that's hard, you know, Mm -hmm. to go out of your way, to go out of your set, uh, you know, standards and set of ways to, to really put your foot forward and say, you know, I'm Jen, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. let's grab coffee and stuff. And so, yeah, it was a really sweet season now that I look back on it because Mm -hmm. I personally grew a lot from it. And um, I made new friends and just really broadened my horizon of what mm-hmm. this world looks like, you know, even mm-hmm. though we're still in America. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I was really grateful for that time. It's so interesting because as I um, interview women from different backgrounds and life, you know, life experiences, the Asians that grow up in predominantly Asian environments mm-hmm. um, seem to 
it's it's just a it's a, just a different it's a different experience, you mm-hmm. know, than to be the only one and to go for days without seeing another Asian. Mm-hmm. And if that was your whole existence as an yeah. Asian, yeah. it just shapes your whole personhood very differently. Yes, I think I, we, yes. we spent a summer in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Oh, and yeah. And it was the same far. thing. Like I yes. just, I think I saw like, I don't know, I could probably count on one hand the number of Asians, but it was the same guy that <laughs> just kind of yes. waved you. But it's like, we kind of have this knowing like the little like head nod, like yeah, kind of like yeah. makes some eye contact. And I'm like, hey, I see you, you see me, but, and we get this. <laughs> so, I feel you. I yeah, totally, totally get it. Totally, yes. yes. So yeah. it is interesting. Well, did you like in your either growing up in the Bay Area or in Charleston, like did mm-hmm. you experience situations where it was painful for you as an Asian American, where things were said that were hurtful or where you experienced anything that was hurtful for you? Yeah. You know, there's a bunch to choose from, which is, you know, (laughs) both fortunate and unfortunate. Um, You know, looking back on them now, and I'm sure there will be some in the future too, you know, I'm trying to see them as lessons or, or seeing what I can learn from them if there's anything, you know, um, and of course they make me sad and frustrated and angry, but, you know, I think, yeah, it's just, a um, yeah, a reflection of human nature, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, we're, we're trying to do the best we can to move forward and educate. But I remember, you know, a friend telling me once, you know, if, if they didn't, you know, not like you for the color of your skin or, or, you know, where you come from, they're going to find something else, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's always just going to be something we need to work on in our human nature and our human relationships, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's racism or sexism or whatever, whatever prejudice there may be. Um, So yeah, you know, my very first uh, recollection of, racism and I didn't even realize it that it Mm -hmm. was at the time I was in San Francisco a San Francisco um grocery store with my mom I was maybe in you know elementary school or something but um this guy was handing out ice cream samples and this group of uh you know Caucasian kids like ran up and just grabbed them and it was he the guy was totally fine like they just grabbed their ice cream and like walked away and so Mm -hmm. I went up after them and took a sample and he like slapped my hand um, and was like, you know, you can't have that, you know? Um, and I had already grabbed it. So I just walked, I just turned around and walked away. I didn't really think much of it, mm-hmm. but I remember my mom was furious and I, and I didn't understand why. Um, oh. And it wasn't until years later that I was like, it was probably because, you know, some form of racism that she was so mm-hmm. upset. Um, so yeah, that was that's that's still very a clear image in my mind because my mom, who doesn't really get that upset um, normally, was so upset. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was you know when I was younger, and you know thankfully growing up, you know, and like I said, I had been in an Asian bubble mm-hmm. growing up a lot too, so I didn't really hear or see too many things, you know, throughout high school and college, mostly because I surrounded myself with Asians. So mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't until maybe going to South Carolina. Um, you know, there are several stories of just 
things people would say. But one I found particularly interesting that, you know, wasn't outright maybe hurtful or meant to be hurtful. Um, I think there was a lot of maybe ignorance of just, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Asian people in general Mm -hmm. when there's not a lot of Asians, you know? Right. So I remember uh, I was working at an office and uh, we had like extra donuts or something. So we brought it to the office next to us. And I was pregnant with my son at the time and his name is Enoch, which Mm -hmm. is from the Bible. Mm -hmm. And um, so the guy, our, our, this next door coworker, uh, we gave him the donuts and he was like, oh, you know, what are you naming your son? And I told him, oh, we're naming him Enoch. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, is that a family name? Is that an Asian name? <laughs> and I was so shocked and like flabbergasted. I was like, oh, no, it's from the Bible. <laughs> and it was just so interesting to me, you know, mm-hmm. um, Especially because in the South, people are very like conservative and it's like part of the Bible Belt and everything. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh no, it's not. So yeah, that was interesting to me. It definitely stuck out as just an example of how when we're not, you know, friends with people different from us or if we don't um, interact with them or even care to learn about them, how these little things can, you know, build up in someone's life. Um, So yeah. And after that, you know, even thinking through these moments, I'm like, yeah, I want to take those and use them as a way for me to, to inspire me to learn more about Mm -hmm. other people um, and just not make those mistakes, you know, that would compound in someone else's life. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think that <clears throat> there are some some things that are said out of ignorance, like you're saying, and some things mm-hmm. that are literally meant to be hurtful. Yes. Like mm-hmm. my son, you know, living in Pasadena was at a Ralph's grocery store mm-hmm. and um, he was looking at something and accidentally bumped into a, a guy and the guy just looks at him and goes, go back to your country. Oh. You know, and it's like yeah. those kinds of things where it was... I think my son was so shocked and he was just so tired too. It's like, how do I even respond to this? And he's just let that slide. But Mm -hmm. there is like, there is just the general, like did not even know, don't even know that I don't even know. And then there's the definite, like I am seeking to be very hurtful in my comments. And I I think we experience the othering, Mm -hmm. you know, either way it's like an othering kind of thing. For sure. Sure. It was kind of interesting for me. I think um, just this last couple of years, it feels like incidences have been escalating in mm-hmm. different places. Mm-hmm. Or they become more public in a way. Yes. Like we're aware yes. of many more. Yeah. Right. Or because of our cell phones, we can. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or whatever. But it was really scary for me. I was out for, you know, lunch with some, or dinner with some, fr- actually podcast, the podcast yeah. crew. We were celebrating the, the launch of the podcast. We were having dinner together. And there was um, a guy that was, I think, had some mental Mm -hmm. illness and was walking through the parking lot screaming at the top of his lungs. Um, But I, for a moment, for the first time in Southern California, for a moment looked around and thought, do we need to get under the table? Is he going to shoot us? Like that, it's like, it just was so bizarre to me, Jen. I just thought, what is this that's going on? But I think as an ethnic minority, this is like a real, like this is my new reality a little bit. Yes, for sure, for sure. 
yeah, it's we are we're living in some challenging times. And- yeah, for sure. They're both challenging. Um, you know, I think about that, like the othering and how, you know, in recent, you know, events, there has been singling out of certain groups, you know, mm-hmm. and they are being targeted for, you know, these attacks and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, are we next? Which is like right. so morbid right. and terrible to think about, but also like, I don't know. <laughs> right. No, you know? seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think about that. I try not to let it linger too much, obviously, because, you know, we don't have any control over that. But on the flip side, you know, evidences of things kind of progressing and moving in a forward direction are like things like this podcast or even Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. um, being on social media. I'm so grateful to kind of have these online friends who are so different from me. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to like share, you know, things um, that we're doing and like my family, like we just celebrated my daughter's first birthday over the summer. Mm-hmm. And um, so my husband's Korean. So mm-hmm. my yes. children are Korean, Chinese, American, yes. <laughs> or Chinese, Korean, American. <laughs> and sometimes uh-huh. I, I joke that I'm more Korean than you when I'm talking to my husband, Sam, because he speaks <laughs> like zero Korean. You know, I can speak <laughs> a little more Korean than him, yes. which is you know, just ordering at the restaurant and stuff. But we had a very, uh, a traditional kind of Korean first birthday, which is yes. a big deal in yes. the culture. And so, we, you know, um, my daughter, Nora, dressed up in the hanbok, which is a Korean mm-hmm. um, dress, traditional dress for special occasions and stuff. And, you know, we took some nice pictures and I posted them. And I was just really grateful to be able to share that, mm. you know, with whoever wanted to see it. And I have so many friends um, and people who follow me online that, might not have known about this tradition. And I was just really yes. grateful to share that with them. And, I, you know, several people messaged me and were, were like, you know, her dress is so beautiful and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And I'm like, oh, I'm just so glad that in in the crazy, you know, we can just mm-hmm. focus on these little things, these little moments of connection yeah. that we can make, whether online or in real life. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, those have become really important to me, just making those little connections. That makes, yeah, I completely agree. And I do think that there is something to be said about um, having spaces where we're validated, but we also Mm -hmm. are educating. Yes. So Mm -hmm. that's really, yeah, you're capturing it so well. So um, (laughs) so kind of like in that same vein, what are some parts of your heritage that you're proud of? Mm Mm-hmm. And um, in in that, as you're thinking, I just want to say, yeah. I'm so sorry for the loss of your grandfather. Yeah, She's thank you. Like such an incredible leader, and um, he really did. He set he set you all up so well. And yes, for sure. And like such a great man. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, definitely proud of my grandfather and all he did for our family. Um, you know that he, he was my dad on my mom's side, and. I think his kind of leadership was not the leadership that I think we automatically think of, you know, someone that's very loud and commands the room kind of thing. But he was more of a, you know, quiet force, mm-hmm. um, you know, let his actions speak for him. And I think that's also very true of my dad's side, my dad's mm-hmm. mom, who he immigrated here with. Um, you know, she worked like night and day mm-hmm. to um, help them make it here, you know, and 
Um, I think I draw, I know I don't like to think that I've gotten too much from my parents, but I definitely draw from that generational experience because I think my mom and dad also reflect, you know, their parents in that way. And in Mm -hmm. some ways I reflect my parents in that way. Um, Sorry, I said that because when I was younger, I was like, I'm never going to become like my parents. <laughs> so Famous last reflect, words, all of yeah, us. Like, right? I never, I sound just like my mom. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Yes, yes, I yes, agree. So to say that, oh, I, I think I do reflect a lot of that quiet mm. leadership that my parents um, exemplified to me that I think my grandparents also exemplified to them um, is really this lesson that I'm just learning now as a 30 year old, you know? So, um, yeah. And I'm just learning that you have influence like wherever you are, mm-hmm. whether you are, you know, new to a place, if you're new to a country, you know, mm-hmm. or if you are, um, like for me, I'm just a mom. <laughs> like when people ask me what I do, I don't know. I'm just a mom, you know, but I'm not just a mom, you know, I'm mm-hmm. my kid's mom. I'm Enoch and Nora's mom on purpose. Yes. yes. And, um, you know, I want them to be proud of me, you yeah. know? <laughs> and when I think about them and how much they love me, despite, you know, the fact that I don't think I'm a great mom all the time, but no matter what, they're still down to snuggle, you know? Mm-hmm. And the fact that they just see past or they can't even see all my flaws right now. They're just looking up at me with, you know, tender childlike faith. And um, so, yeah, I want to be, I want to set the example for them Mm. of also, you know, how to uh, use what you have, you know, to either help others to make a connection Mm -hmm. um, or to really, yes, set in, set some kind of legacy is what, Um, my husband and I have been talking about this year is like, Mm -hmm. how do we set a legacy for our kids that going down, they'll remember the things we talk about now, even though they're still so young. Mm -hmm. And my grandfather, my grandparents, my mom and dad, they've set, you know, this legacy for us of just really quiet, gentle leadership, Mm -hmm. but that is sacrificial and so loving just in, like I said before, all the things that we enjoy and take for granted now is because of them. And so um, it's taken me again, like 30 years to realize (laughs) and to be grateful and to even, you know, start to, to show them love in a way that that I did not when I was a teenager, (laughs) like Mm -hmm, focused, mm -hmm. so focused on myself, you know, but yeah, when I look forward to my children, I just want them to know that, you know, we're also setting forth a legacy every day with our words and our actions and how we respond to things. Even if, um, you know, we do mess up, how do we respond to them? Mm -hmm. Or if something bad happens to us, how do we respond to that? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a tall order, but. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it is. And it's in the season that you are in. Is challenging. Yes, the young, the young season. Just, <laughs> it is. It is. It's like I think for me, I remember just I just wanted to go to the bathroom by myself. Oh like, yes. Oh just, my gosh. You know. I tell my husband <laughs> that every day. I'm like, 
you go to work, but you also get to go to the bathroom by yourself. By yourself. It's so true. Yeah. And, and you were working as well. So yes, it's, it is, it's all of those challenges. So for yeah. sure. Well, what are some of your favorite Asian comfort foods? Oh man. Okay. I, that's really difficult because I like so many. <laughs> when I was um, pregnant with my daughter, I was really sick um, or just had a very bad morning sickness uh, throughout. And literally the only thing I craved or could stomach was boba. And so I know it's so bad and so unhealthy. And, you know, thank God I did not have gestational diabetes somehow oh by a miracle. But I literally had boba like every other day. Because it was like the only thing that got me through my pregnancy. And so it has it has a, a special spot in my heart for getting me through that pregnancy. Yes. But, you know, ever since I was a little girl, I've loved just soup and rice, any kind of soup mm-hmm. and rice. So my parents would make a soup. I would just dunk my bowl of rice in it and eat it up, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after, you know, trying other different kind of Asian cuisines, like, um, now with my husband who's Korean, like making Korean soup, like jjigae mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just I just dunk a bowl of rice in there, and I'm good. Like I could eat that so for, forever. <laughs> yeah, and it's just so comforting to me. This mm-hmm. the warmth of the soup and the hardiness of the rice. It really, mm-hmm. yeah, it just makes me so happy. <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm <laughs> and it's smiling. so simple, you know. <laughs> it's so simple. I know. Like my, I think my mom like would or special order chickens so that they yeah. were like, I don't know, they had more flavor than your typical yes, grocery for, store chicken. For broth and stuff. Yeah, you know, for the broth. And then yeah, they that had, makes they me also, think of, no, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, like we're getting all like frothing at the mouth. Like, <laughs> we're excited. Yeah. Like, we're so excited. But they ordered like Virginia ham, mm-hmm. like special ordered that because it was so like salty. Have you seen the, like the Pinterest recipes and stuff? And I'm just like, wait, like the soup that my mom makes. <laughs> like I was so confused. I found it just hilarious <laughs> that there was a bone broth revolution on Pinterest. <laughs> it's all yes, over the place for in sure. 5,000 years of history. It's just proving to be like yes, yes. nutritious. I'm glad it was women. validated. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's finally. All, the truth always rises. Yeah. The truth always rises. So... Well, I would love to hear a little bit of some of your heart and vision with um, the online space that you've curated and, you know, what has motivated that and where you, yeah, what, what is your inspiration and how do you, um, yeah, um, how do you see that space? You know, I've always liked documenting things, documenting my days. I had, you know, dozens of diaries growing up and always had some Zanga or blog or live journal or something um, in college and high school. And just, I was, you know, sort of like an emo kid. I like to put my feelings out there with some pictures <laughs> and stuff, you know, a little abstract. But um, when Instagram came around, it just felt like this really easy, perfect medium to kind of do that without, you know, being as, um, you know, time consuming as keeping a blog and stuff. So I, you know, just started Instagramming um, my days and I really liked the connections I made over time. Um, You know, when people would comment things like, you know, Mm -hmm. your words really hit me or your words uh, really inspired me or your 
photos are so awesome or lovely. And, you know, as we started, you know, traveling more and like taking our kids and stuff, it really encouraged like other moms to travel with their kids, which was like, I was so, so happy Mm -hmm. that I could help in that way, in some way, you know? Um, And so I (laughs) see this space as just this little sphere of influence that I have. Um, whether, you know, I lose all my followers or gain, you know, 10 times as many, I think I just want to keep it a space where I can inspire people, um, just in the little ways. So whether that's at home with my kids or traveling or just our everyday life. Um, and in some ways I just want to be that light. Um, you know, what, when people ask me, you know, how do you take photos or how do you edit them and stuff? And I'm like, you know what the secret sauce is, the secret ingredient. The one thing you need is just good light. Um, it doesn't matter like what editing tools mm. you get or presets that you buy. If your photo is not in like good light, it's, it doesn't matter what you put to it. It's still, it's still not going to come out the way you want it to. Mm. Um, and mm. so I, I just always want to say, you know, I just want to bring some light into your life. Um, and that's my baby, bringing light into my life. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So sweet. So sweet. Well, that this is wonderful. And how I can people find Jen you? Sane, what is your Instagram J-E-N-S-A-N-E. Um, someone in college was like, you're like Jensane in the membrane. And I'm like, yeah, that, that sticks. So Jensane, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jensane. Well, great. Well, we will definitely link you up on our show notes and people can come and enjoy the beauty thank of you. your words. This is so fun, Viv. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for being on the show and for your, um, just your, your heart and sharing your stories. Thank and you. Thank you so much. You. Thank you for joining us this week on Some Days Here. If you've liked what you've heard, please take a moment and subscribe to the show so that each new episode automatically downloads to your device every week. And thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. We would love for you to rate and review the show so that others can find out about us. A special thank you to the brilliant team that makes Some Days Here possible. The Some Days Here logo is designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. Show notes on the website are by Vicki Pham. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The director of design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantelle Reynolds. Have a great week. And we look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Someday is Here. <laughs>